Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today, we have David Cruz Palmer with us from Corridor Capital Partners, all the way out there on the East Coast in Virginia. David is an industrial expert, which is super exciting because I've been up on industrial recently. So David, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Good to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for hosting. Absolutely. Um, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. We like to hear how people got to where they are today. Uh, so why don't you take us back to the beginning? How'd you get started in real estate? Sure. Yeah. I uh, did a little, dabbled a little bit in real estate in college, was a the worst mortgage broker in the world for about <laughs> six months right out of college. And then um, about two years after getting a real job where I learned how to do a cold calling, um, I, I found my way into being a commercial real estate broker. So I was a tenant rep commercial real, real estate broker in San Francisco for 15 years. Oh, nice. Yeah. A tenant, and then, a tenant rep. So you helped uh, like lease up properties? Uh, the exact op. Well, yes, yeah, sure. Um, so I worked with tenants or occupiers of commercial space and represented them in the finding and negotiating uh, and procuring of leases generally. So okay. not a lot of uh, acquisitions or purchases, but yeah. So like I was in San Francisco, lots of tech companies. Yeah. Um, lots of financial institutions too. And help those companies find the space, negotiate business terms, cool. work their way through the lease. Yeah. And then you kind of ride the wave with a company going from two founders to, you know, hundreds of people or hundreds of people or thousands of people. Very Figure nice. out real estate strategies across the country. Yeah. That was that was it. So read read, you know, hundreds or thousands of leases and um use that to find my way into syndicating commercial real estate investments with a with a heavy focus on industrial. Nice, man. Not, I was thinking, I mean, that must be a perfect segue into industrial. Um, I mean, those leases are just massive. And so being yeah. able to just know exactly, I mean, it sounds like you were just helping businesses find good spaces, negotiate their leases, all that stuff um, over and over and over again for a number of years before you got onto the in investor side, uh, which is yeah. a good framework for sure. Yeah. No, it's funny. Um, you know, typically it's, you know, you would think that having sales experience would be valuable, but I actually think the leasing experience is it's certainly as valuable because I understand it from a tenant's perspective. I, I understand what a what a captive tenant is, right? One who can't leave because they don't have any options in the market. And, and I understand when there's a soft market, right? So you, from a tenant's perspective, you want to take advantage of a soft market and get the best economics that you can. So um, that's that's the backdrop of, you know, my foundational knowledge that I try to use and apply to the investments that, that I look at with my investors. Absolutely. Um, and so when did you, your, it sounds like you're a broker helping with leases for quite a while. When did you first make the yep. jump from, you know, broker leasing agent to investor? Now I own this property. I'm, I'm trying to lease it on myself. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I had, uh, some time for a couple of years. Um, COVID? <laughs> during, during, yes, exactly. During COVID, had a couple of years too. It's funny. I feel like all brokers, brokers say this thing. They're like, "Oh, you, um, you're on the principal side now. Like you're living the dream, right?" And and I and I agree with that. And I've always said that I wanted to own real estate. And you know, you deal with it every day. But when you're a broker in San Francisco, like you know, I did four hundred thousand square foot lease in South San Francisco. I did hundred thousand square foot leases for these companies. They're huge, but 
um, and the commissions are great, but not nearly great enough to buy a commercial property in San Francisco, right? Like a house in San Francisco is bottom, bottom of the barrel is $2 million, right? So to buy, you know, you could imagine buying like a hundred thousand square foot facility or just something else. Like it's just on another scale. So you say you want it, but you don't really see it. But if, but now I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia, right? And this, the brokers kind of still say the same thing. And most of them don't, don't own properties. And it's just this weird, it's like a mindset thing. It's a leap of faith thing. Um, uh, for me, it was a, I had, you know, I had some time and, um, I made a, had a couple of good years, like go, even going into, um, COVID as a broker and it's like, all right, I want to buy something. And you realize like, you, you can't buy that much. <laughs> you need a lot more money to buy something bigger or to buy the thing you want. And then, you know, it's from there that I figured out what syndication was and, and, um, raising money from friends and, you know, figuring out how to build a financial analysis with a waterfall structure and GPLP and just, just, you know, all the market analysis stuff. But, um, it was from a different perspective, but I, you know, a lot of great podcasts out there where you can learn about these things. And then, you know, the internet has, um, everything's readily available, great books. And then you talk to people who have done it. Um, so, you know, I did, I did kind of a crash course in syndication and, um, bought my first two properties about a year ago and, and oh, wow. raised, raised money with, uh, yeah, with people. And I've, um, in contract on, on a pile now and, uh, got a bunch more down the pipeline. I built a system for finding off market properties, which is, you know, something that a lot of people would, you know, do in the, uh, single family and, and, uh, house flipping, uh, space that I've just been using some of their techniques and, uh, and software infrastructure to, to do what I'm doing now. Perfect, man. You're in, uh, in yeah. good company. Um, so your first, your first deal was actually a syndicated deal. You didn't buy it with your own cash. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Um, first one was a a 250,000 square foot warehouse off of interstate 81 Yeah, Yeah, in Virginia. Um, and right, right at the same. Was it like, uh, you know, was it class A or was this like run down? You needed to fix it up, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Former federal judge and his wife, well, his wife owned it and ran it. She'd owned it since the seventies. And Wow. Uh, she passed away a couple years before and he's, you know, old, um, and retired, very retired and just shouldn't, didn't want to be running it, but, um, didn't, you know, didn't know what he wanted to do, but he was waiting to see maybe a son wants it. And he's kind of running it in her memory. And uh, it was just more than he could handle. And the son was an attorney in North Carolina. He didn't want to run it either. So, um, he got it off market at an eight and a half cap. Um, it's rail served with an active rail spur and I have a fortune 500 tenant in there with a lease that's expiring 24 months from the lease, from, the, from the, the date that I purchased it. So usually with commercial leases, you start negotiating those anywhere from 12 to 18 months in advance, but in a, in a very tight market with, you know, industrialized a 3% vacancy rate, pretty much drop a pin in the map in the United States and it's somewhere between a three and a 4% vacancy rate. So, wow. um, yeah, so, so the bottle and their, and their rent was fixed. It was gross, no annual increases. And, uh, and so, you know, naturally, just naturally there were rent escalations that would increase the rent they pay and right? the rent they pay is it's, it's NOI, right? It's an, it becomes NOI. And so to renew the lease, um, is to increase the rent, which is to increase NOI. And so that's, that's the value add or whatever structure, right. For most of these commercial properties. Perfect. So, um, you know, that was an awesome explanation, but you know, people that aren't in industrial, there's, there's a few for everybody listening. There are a few terms that I just want to cl- clarify. You said gross leases that's a, as opposed to triple net. Um, and so or, yeah, or anything in between. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so you, they were paying, you still pay all of the expenses for the property. Um, but you, yep. 
you're saying that one of the value adds for this property that you purchased is transitioning it to triple net. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so what that's actually a strategy that I use now a lot um, that is available to commercial, right? That isn't so available or isn't available really at all for multifamily or maybe even self-storage uh, is to change the, the lease structure. As I mentioned, the vacancy rate is very low. Um, the United States just, I mean, we haven't built enough industrial space for the demand that we have. And, um, you know, there are a lot of macroeconomic things going on right now, like China shutting down for months at a time um, that make companies that do manufacturing and shipping and receiving. And they want to have a little more predictability in the supply chain. So there's going to be, there could be a lot more pressure on industrial space, um, which would keep demand really high for many years to come. And with 7%, 8%, whatever, wherever interest rates are going, there's not a lot of spec development going on to, to meet the demand, um, the current demand. Uh, so most of the spec development is either in these really hot markets like Savannah or, or LA, where there's where there are massive ports, or um, but most of the development's actually just coming from uh, build-a-suits for companies that need space, so they'll partner with a developer or do their own. So something between those two or someone that owns dirt cheap land and they're just going to bite the bullet on the cost and, and hope to hit the high rents that, that the market, you know, the market has really high rents because vacancy is so low. So, you know, if, if rents have gone up, Prologis is the largest industrial land, landlord in, in the world um, and their rents uh, have gone up something like 20% year over year for the past three years. Jesus. So you can imagine like, I mean, what does that do to your bottom line? It does great things to your bottom line. And if you buy a building like those and the rents have just escalated in one of these really hot markets you buy it based on a cap rate and the cap rates based on noi the noi is based on the last you know the next 12 months of rent and so like landlords know this right you'll still buy a building at a four and a half cap sometimes because supply is so low and there's this capital event coming up because they know that in two years the lease is going to expire there's a guy I, there's a guy in richmond i talked to this guy wanted to sell at a four and a half cap because uh, he, and this is not, none of these are like credit tenants. These is just, he has a hundred thousand square foot building and, um, and he has two tenants and one of them's paying $5 a foot. The other's paying something like four fifty. They're both triple net. They both have 3% annual increases. And the one that uh, is paying four fifty has a lease expiring in two years. And he's like, Hey, uh, I want $6 million. And I did the math. Uh, and that's like a four and a half cap. And it's a, the inside of the building is nice, but it's a dirty building. The ceilings are not high. It's not. It's nothing special. It's just that there's nothing else available. And he's like, I offered four and a half million. He's like, no way. I need six. And I said, that's a four and a half cap. Like Amazon doesn't even get a four and a half cap right now, just because <laughs> rates are so high. He's like, well, I have a rent. I have a lease expiring in three years, and it's going to be six dollars a foot. Um, and I'm like, okay. And I did the math on that, and that's a six cap. And I'm like, I'm not going to buy a future yeah. forward six cap where you just bake in the value. But he's not wrong. And to be perfectly honest, Richmond, Virginia is one of the hottest markets. It has the highest leasing velocity for industrial space of any of any city in, in the U.S. right now. And a lot of that is because of the demand around the port um, down in uh, down in uh, like Norfolk area, Virginia Beach area. So um, it, it's, his rents actually could be like seven dollars a square foot. So if that's the case, then it might be worth it. But I'm I'm not like in a position to take that risk right now. Certainly not yeah. without something like seller financing. Yeah. And yeah. especially for, I mean, um, I'm assuming you, you and I are both, we're not on the, 
hundred billion dollar um we don't have a shit ton of capital that we can just throw around and so you i i just cannot deal with uh with sellers who want pro forma rates um you know they're looking like they're looking at a four cap on close but they're like oh in three years it's going to be a nine cap well i can't i'm not going to buy something that's going to lose me money in the in the interim Um, yeah i mean nine's better than a six but yeah i'm with you (laughs) yeah yep that makes sense uh cool so um just for people who you know, like myself, who are not in industrial, they want to get into industrial. What are the things that you look for in these properties um, to identify like a really good deal that you should be closing on? Sure. Um, I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, one, a couple of things. One, one, I actually have a sheet that I put together for evaluating industrial real estate leases. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you, and also just industrial properties generally. Um, there's two sheets. I could share both of those with you. Yeah. Um, well, what you should look for is what are the market rents? Who are the tenants in the building? Um, and then you really got it. For a lot of people who do go from multifamily, there's there's a different underwriting process and different set of assumptions. Everyone kind of understands the house and the rents and, and the costs associated with the house. And I feel like there's if you haven't done a lot of commercial, then maybe you're not familiar with the lease. And I feel like a lot of people are into multifamily one because they're just really great returns if you can, you know, get the ARV right and get the assumptions on on the uh, the renovation costs right. And inflation is, you know, certainly a valuable contributor to the to the increase in, in rental rates and the shortage of housing. But um, like those are the things that you look at when you look at multifamily. When you look at industrial or commercial, generally, you're you're looking at the fundamentals of the market as they compare to um, the rents that are in place. Um, so like office is really rough right now because we don't know if people want to be in offices. Um, there are a lot of, uh, jobs that are being sent to other cities. So like, if you're looking at suburban office, class B office, that's just a really rough asset class. Um, industrial though is pretty strong. So you want something that has the highest ceilings you can possibly get, um, 20 feet or more. Ideally, okay, yeah. thirty feet. Uh, because so twenty, if you're really looking high. at a minimum. Um, this is you know clearance is something that's yeah. a new concept to me. And so, you for industrial, as I understand it, twenty feet is the minimum that you would want. Um, Not exactly. Under that. Yeah, I mean, you can get away with sixteens. I've got a building with fourteens, and I'm having a really hard time leasing that space. So, like, you can makers can go in there, but it, you're not going to get the industrial tenants that you want. Um, you can try and raise the roof, but a lot of times there's like a sprinkler system and it just gets too expensive and it doesn't necessarily justify the cost, but it's an option. Um, and so you want to get decently high ceilings. I'd say 16 to 20 feet at a minimum. It really depends on the market. Um, I'll also say that I look at uh, flex warehouse space mm-hmm. and, and what that is, is like, that's where the guys who are doing like Party the carpenters, in the front, mullet in the back. Yeah, it's sort of. I mean, less of. I I actually think more. I totally. I yeah, that is the definition of it. But there's a there's a a version of it that doesn't always have the party in the front. Um, sometimes you have the office for like people to come in and do a retail thing, but it's mostly a roll up door, the highest ceiling you can get, and then they're just storing things. It could be like the rug sellers. It could be like just people who do things as a service, um, and they have trucks that need to come and go. Like I don't know, like the salt, the people who sell you salt for your wells, right? Like there's so many of these random, random things, things that yeah, people who that need out a roll up door. Wedding furniture, ex- yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. The what the people who put water bottles in your office, like there's there's an unlimited number of these. It's not there's there's a very large number <laughs> of people who need a roll up door and some space, like five two twenty five hundred to five thousand square feet. And there's a real shortage of that space too. And that's like the 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 stepchild, the ugly stepchild of industrial. And it it doesn't need to be. It's just that you don't get these really high credit, um, <clears throat> publicly traded tenants in there. But there's so much demand for that. There's never like we're always going to have plumbers. We're always going to have carpenters. Even in like a down economy, there's going to be someone who needs that stuff. And um, similar to the self storage or maybe the multifamily, those rents are those leases are usually really short. They're like one to three year leases, um, and that means that you can take inflation advantage of inflation. So you can you can turn those into a triple net lease and go where the tenant pays for the taxes, the insurance, the operating expenses, right? and you can pass those on to the tenant and then, then you're just fluctuating getting rent. So if you see the economy is getting rough, you have the option of making the lease terms longer with 3% annual escalations. And maybe, you know, the average recession is two to three years long. So maybe you do five-year leases and you try and skate over it, or, or maybe, or maybe you don't, if it's like this weird thing we're in now, right. Where we've got, who knows if it's inflation or stagflation. And so if expenses go up or, you know, rents are going to go up with inflation. It's just the cost of everything gets higher and then real estate values go up. So there are a lot of opportunities. Um, I could probably go on and on about the different things to look for. But I think if you're looking for classic industrial, I would look at high ceilings, um, a good locations, uh, something that's valuable. And then the quality of the tenant. I think those are the top three okay. or the potential quality of the tenant if, yep. if it's a vacant building. And for location, as I understand it, you're looking for obviously port cities are are massive, but those are also going to be super expensive. Outside yep. of that, you're looking for major metros along highways, right? That's that's basically what people are looking for when it comes to industrial. Yeah, I mean, it it could be a mix and match, right? I I actually think there's a lot of value for small cities along highways mm. that are well located, kind of like a stopping manufacturing point. Like uh, where I live in Central Virginia, there's a highway that connects. So there's the 81 corridor, which is sort of famous for like Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, and Pennsylvania. Has, <laughs> yeah, office. right. So like the Lee, right? The, well, exactly. Well, the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania is this this I don't know. It's like this place that's had way more industrial development than anywhere else over the last few years, and um, that's along 81. But Virginia, that 81 goes straight down into Virginia and connects to uh, I think it's Knoxville, Tennessee. And so um, in Virginia, we've got these little cities like Waynesboro and Stanton that connect where 64 goes to Richmond. It crosses through central Virginia. And so it goes from Richmond, Virginia to 81 and Amazon built a million square foot facility there to do a distribution of it just opened this year. So like it's under the radar, but also Amazon who is building things there, right? Like that, that just, that validates, um, a hypothesis and this isn't one of the ones that they're shutting down this is this is the new long-term vision for amazon and it's that's, not even last mile it's just really well located yeah so that's the that's like where funny. highways meet yeah even if it's small cities i think that's even valuable and that's actually more under the radar if you're looking for something uh in uh in mobile home parks and self-storage i use kind of a you know a rule of thumb that if there's a walmart within 10 miles of the location then it's probably it. a good buy um so for yeah. industrial it sounds like if there's an amazon warehouse well, within, <laughs> yeah i mean it's probably yeah, I well think, located 
Yeah, I, I think that's probably that's probably an obvious one right? <laughs> for, for most people, right? That was like buying residential next to Starbucks or Whole Foods yeah, um, yeah, know, yeah. ten or twenty years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. love it. Cool, man. Well, uh, I've, I've loved everything you shared so far. I wish we had more time. We have passed through our initial section, so it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Do it. Yep. Let's do it. Uh, starts with books. Um, two recommendations. You can be books. It can be any form of education, YouTube videos, whatever. Uh, but give me two sure. of them. Give me one for general life wisdom and one for real estate specific. Cool. I'll, I'll just grab the two I have here. Um, uh, Vivid Vision is great for kind of like putting together the vision and like what what is it that you want to do? What do you want to build? Cameron Harold's just he wrote a great book, and I know lots of people who go back to that year after year to make sure that they're focused on the long term. Um, currently, uh, I'm part of this Raise Masters thing, uh, and Rob Beardsley is is one of the mentors. He has structuring and raising debt and equity for real estate. It's really right. well done, incredibly well done. Rob Beardsley. All right. It's I'll like, actually... yeah, I mean, it looks like this boring, um, like, I don't know, thesis paper. And it yeah, like a law really... book. <laughs> it does, but it it's easy to read. It's just like, it flows. He did, he did a really great job. Yeah. Well, for a, a subject like structuring debt, it shouldn't look super fancy. It should look like, well, I think books. he got excited about the equity because the transition was now we're done with the, the debt. Let's get to the fun stuff. So, but I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to consider. And I, I learned a ton reading that. I'm reading All it right. the second time right now. Yeah. Perfect. I'll have to pick that one up. Um, that moves us to the next question. This is for your younger self. So if you go back to the David who is, let's say he was just getting out of uh, out of college, he was a mortgage broker, go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Yeah, it's 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 two things wrapped in one. It's uh, take lots of risks and, and trust yourself. Great advice. Take lots of risks, especially when you're just getting started because those are the times when people forgive you the most. Yeah. Um, all right. And uh, next question. This is your Superman strength. Um, we are all gifted with unique strengths that we give this world. So what is your Superman strength? Um, yeah, it's something like uh, people trust me. I'm, I'm just honest to a fault. And, uh, <laughs> and I also can get super focused on things like when there's a thing that I want, I can just I can make it really consuming um, for me so that it's just, it's the only thing that I, I inhabit for, you know, extended periods of time. Perfect. If you want to hit a goal, obsession is definitely a way to do that. In fact, it's almost required. Um, if yeah. you don't have that super focus, then it's not going to happen. So great strength. Um, that moves us to the next question. And this one is mentors. Um, we are, none of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So who is, one mentor who has contributed tremendously to your career and uh, give me yeah. a shout out. Sure. Yeah. I actually, this year I hired a coach, um, which was kind of a leap of faith for me. I, I didn't want a mindset coach. I wanted a, like a business structure coach to help me figure out real estate deals and things like that. And then I got a mindset coach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this guy, his name's Chris Patterson. He's awesome. He works with lots of amazing people. Uh, Michael Chandler um, in the MMA is one of them who's fighting this weekend. Nice. Right on. Well, yeah. shout out to Chris. Thank you very much for helping David along his journey. Uh, that moves us to the next question. Uh, this one is location. The US, it's a big place. A lot, of look, a lot of opportunity out there, a lot of square miles to buy. So what is one metro you are most excited about investing in today? Yeah, it's uh, Richmond, Virginia. Handsome. Yeah. Backdoor. Uh, investing. A lot of upside. Yep. Um, all right. Second to last question. This is... I'm losing it. There it is. Tools. Tools form the backbone of every business. So what is one tool that you could not live without? 
without saying things like the internet, I'll say CoStar is just really valuable. Um, yeah. That's yeah. funny. Uh, it's funny you say that because I am just now, um, you know, I used to use self storage is my main thing. And I used uh, track IQ, which is, it's like a co-star, but just for self storage, but I've been wanting yeah. to get into other asset classes. And so I actually, I had a call or I have a call today to talk with Crexy. Yeah. Um, but I've heard people, people have been throwing shade at Crexy and they say that co-star no, is the good. way to go. Um, yeah, do you I have mean, experience you- of both of them? I do. And Crexy's great. And I just yesterday emailed the Crexy guy back and I was like, I'm sorry, man. I, it's just co-star for me. Um, I will say that uh, Reonomy is hands down. The user interface for Reonomy is like nothing I've seen before. It's the experience I want. The data is just not as good and it hasn't been there as long. It's great. It is gr- so The things that are the same as CoStar are better. Uh, it's a better experience, but CoStar just has so much of a head start on its data that it's not really fair. Um, they've been a publicly traded company since like 1999. And so they've been collecting all of this MSA data and aggregating it and populating it into their database. It's just like the historical data that they have. And and the fact that they're still trying to be the leader, I mean, they are still the leader and the most competitive gives them an advantage. Let me know if you want to go in because I'm actually about to get a new license. Nice, <laughs> Let me man. know if you want to go on a license together. You buy them in bulk and you can actually get a better price. For Maybe sure. We'll like have... get some listeners in on this too. We'll have to talk after the after the show. That's something I might be interested in. Uh, but it's good. CoStar, you I'm glad you said that because uh I was I was really torn between the two. Crexy's definitely cheaper, but um I've heard Do the that... Reonomy, um do the Reonomy free week or whatever just to see how nice it is. The the UI. You I'm a sucker yeah. for a good UI though. It's like it's if you really get good. Yeah, if you get that, then I'm I'll be happy about it. Um, but all right, that's your answer for for the tool. Great one. That moves us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. Um, you've given us a lot of good advice. I'm sure people want to reach out and learn more about how to invest in industrial. So uh, why don't you um, tell us the best way to for them to reach out to you? Sure. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, David Cruz Palmer, Cruz is C R U Z, and uh, also David at CorridorCapitalPartners.com. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out to David, just click the little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description and in there you can find David's URLs. All right. Well, hey, man, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. All right. That was great. Thank you. Absolutely. And for everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe with realestateinvestingclub.com. And if you guys want to show us some love, the best way to support us is just to leave us a review on Apple. That is the only thing we ask. Other than that, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form, fill that out, and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. 
So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.